When I began to work in this field, I quickly realized that school didn't teach me enough about tongue tie. I wanted the opportunity to learn firsthand from an experienced professional. I had so many questions. Can you relate? Good news. I've created the Professional's Guide to Tongue Tie in the Breastfeeding Infant just for you. You'll get four recorded video modules, downloads to share with your patients, admission to a thriving multidisciplinary community for networking, sharing, and continued learning, and four LSERPs. All the details are on the website at tonguetieexperts.net slash pro course. Use code podcast15 to save 15% off this and all of my courses. Can't wait to see you in the group. You're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Palladino, and today I am honored to have as a guest Dr. Kevin Boyd. And when you hear his resume, you'll understand why I'm honored and thrilled. Dr. Kevin Boyd is a board certified pediatric dentist in Chicago who holds a Master of Science degree in human nutrition and dietetics. He teaches in the Pediatric Dentistry Residency Training Program at Lurie Children's Hospital and also serves as a dental consultant to their sleep medicine service. Dr. Boyd is an adjunct assistant professor in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Arkansas, mentoring PhD research and also serves as a visiting consulting scholar at the University of Pennsylvania's Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology where he is collaboratively exploring a hypothetical relationship between changed dietary practices since the Industrial Revolution and diminished human dentofacial development. His lectures world, he lectures worldwide on the topics of early childhood malocclusion, pediatric sleep-breathing hygiene, and evolutionary oral medicine, Darwinian dentistry. Welcome, Dr. Boyd, and thank you so much for being with me here today. Please call me Kevin. Uh, it's, it's a nice okay. title, the doctor, right, but yeah, we're all professionals <laughs> here and friends. Excellent. So, so Kevin, you know, the, 
the things that stand out for me, you know, as an IBCLC, I'm also a midwife and I study functional medicine. So the, the nutrition, the um, anthropology, all of these aren't words that you usually hear associated with a dentist. Not yet. Can you explain your evolution? Yeah, actually, that's a good way to put it. Um, I attended uh, an all-day symposium at the University of Washington in Seattle um, during my tenure as a, uh, well, tenure, not tenured, but a, a brief um, stint as a program director in pediatric dentistry under the UCLA uh, umbrella of pediatric dentistry residencies. They had four of them at the time, and one of them was in San Diego at uh, Rady Children's Hospital. So I commuted from Chicago weekly for about a year and a half directing that. And toward the end of it, um, they had some um, money in the department that needed to be used or it would be lost. So I was able to go to Seattle from San, San Diego and attend this all-day symposium on nutrition and dental caries. Well, you know, it was interesting because the word anthropology uh, was in the description. It was Philippe Pujol. Um, he is a, a epidemiologist and a periodontist, academic at the University of Washington, and had proposed a theory that you know tooth decay was something that didn't really exist in humans until they discovered how to plant cereal grains, you know, wheat and corn and all that stuff. And that's when tooth decay mm-hmm. starts to enter into, well, I, I thought that is nonsense. Uh, that I would have learned that in dental school, right? Oh, no. Right. So it was true. Mm-hmm. Like no cavities in humans for hundreds of thousands of years. That's how long we've been around. I didn't even know how long we'd been around, right? But we go all that mm-hmm. time without tooth decay. And then bingo, 10,000 years ago, it starts. Well, I became curious about what about malocclusion? There was no malocclusion. Mm-hmm. Till about three or four hundred years ago, so that's that's really what started it. Yeah, for those who listen to the podcast too, because we have um, both professional and parents who listen. So just define malocclusion. Yeah, um, malocclusion is just means poorly aligned jaws and teeth. Poorly aligned okay. jaws, meaning they don't match up, and usually one or both jaw, uh, jaws are too far back in the face. The face is retruded; it's gotten pushed back over the last three mm-hmm. or 400 years. Um, and mm-hmm. the teeth have gotten crooked. They're used to not, you know, it just didn't exist. Everyone used to have their wisdom teeth fully erupted. Mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't have and, it. And there, was, there were no braces and there was no need for braces. There, right? there really wasn't. And, and <laughs> right. another, you know, theory or a hypothesis that we're pursuing is that if a child didn't have a perfect jaw, shaped jaw, meaning perfect for what? That the tongue can fit up in the roof of the mouth all the time, except when they're eating. That's the only time mm-hmm. that the tongue should be not in the roof of the mouth. Uh, for swallowing, it does have to be, but not for chewing. So what happened was jaws gradually started to get pushed further back, and the faces started growing longer and narrower. You know, and, mm-hmm. and that you know, was something that just did not occur. If you didn't have a foundation 
before you were six years old, you did not survive childhood. And, and that, you know, pretty much meant that uh, if, you know, if a, a kid wouldn't live long enough to develop malocclusion. That's really what happens. If, so, if a child's mother died, yeah. couldn't nurse, uh, there, was, there was a famine, they, they couldn't baby lead wean or anything like that, they wouldn't live long enough so that the jaw would, you know, not develop properly. So it, it was required to survive childhood. Uh, to have perfect jaws. I don't know if, if my thinking is following correctly, but then you're thinking about evolutionary, that child would not reproduce because they didn't survive. Right. So they wouldn't, it's called only good. Right. Yeah. It's, it's called uh-huh. evolutionary fitness, which doesn't have, it's not physical fitness. Evolutionary fitness means that you would have lived long enough to pass on your genes to reproduce. Okay, so mm-hmm. any child that did not have a, a an ideally shaped and functioning jaw and face and tongue and airway, they would not have achieved evolutionary fitness. They would not live to the age of reproduction, which, you know, 13, 14 and 15 is what our ancestors, that's when they would mate and reproduce. So many of you have asked what to do to prepare for phrenotomy that I decided to share part of my parents' guide to tongue tie with you for free. The Preparing for Phrenotomy Checklist is one of the most popular with parents and professionals. The day can be stressful, but if you are ready, everything can go smoother and you will feel calm knowing that you are prepared. You can download this free checklist at bit.ly slash ready for phrenotomy. You can find this link and other links to all of my courses and freebies in the show notes. I hope you find this helpful. So we survived, those of us, meaning those humans who had the right structure, were able to breastfeed, develop their their mouth, their jaws, their whole cranium appropriately reproduced. So our evolution favored good shaped, you know, properly shaped and healthy shaped it, faces. It, it not only favored until a certain point. It not only favored it, it demanded it. You, you know, okay. it just absolutely was not mm-hmm. possible. Every and there wasn't a whole mm-hmm. lot of variability. I mean, now you see long faces, short faces, uh, lower jaws that are too far back, upper jaws, underbites. You see all those things. Nobody had any of those. Now everyone. Mm-hmm. actually had brown eyes at one time. Blue eyes doesn't enter into the human condition till you know, maybe a, several thousand generations ago. Well, in, in terms of how many generations of That's humans. Well, yeah, isn't it? But, but there was still, you yeah. know, there's still variability. I mean, all robins look alike to us when you look at birds, but they don't do each other. They, they can pick up mm-hmm. subtle variations in each other and mm-hmm. everybody had room for their wisdom teeth and they had to have the foundation that would be conducive to wisdom teeth coming in not only perfectly but with space behind them and you know so so lack of wisdom teeth is sort of an indication of what has happened to our jaws and faces charles darwin Mm -hmm. wrote about that in the 19th century and he even Mm -hmm. mentioned in one of his books and you know in the 1860s oh my gosh in america some dentists are actually pulling out back teeth. 
to make the make them fit in the jaws. And he attributed it to soft diet. Charles Darwin, you know, good observation. Wow. He was right, right I again. Know that. He didn't get everything right, but he he got he got that right. Right, right. So one of the the things that you mentioned in passing when you were talking about that opportunity to go to that lecture is the idea that you didn't learn it in school. And I say this all the time when I'm talking to people, like why, why doesn't everybody even know what I know, even about just breastfeeding? It's because we didn't learn it in school. And, you know, I applaud those of us who are professionals and an ever growing bunch of us, thank goodness, who are realizing that there's more to know than what we learned in school. Because if you stop with what you learned in school it's a dead end and you, you're not going to be able to help people. And we're going to perpetuate this unhealth of, of the generations as we go forward, which is kind of scary. So we didn't learn it in school. There's lots of stuff that we know that we didn't learn in school, right? So we have to keep learning. Oh, and I, I tell my the colleagues, why I do this. We, should, we should not yeah. get overconfident about the knowledge we've acquired and judge our colleagues that haven't acquired it yet or aren't even curious about it. Because mm-hmm. where were we 10 years? Where was I, you know, 15 years ago? I couldn't have told you any of this. None of it. Right. And so should I Same. be judgmental uh, of, of my right. colleagues that don't get it? But I, I I, do get a little miffed when colleagues just think they know it. You know, the, the greatest obstacle to discovery isn't ignorance. It's perception of knowledge. That's the greatest obstacle to discovery. You think you know everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you and I are still hungry to learn more, and we're still studying right. and trying to help right. our colleagues along. I don't know if you know what happened in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, but we had a three-day no. pediatric airway course at the American Dental Association, and the president That's of beautiful. the ADA came in halfway through it, and we thought he was just going to say, hi, welcome, nice to mm-hmm. have you here. Oh, no. This guy could have given his own lecture on how he understood the importance of what we were lecturing about, pediatric airway health, as being a component of oral health. It's a shared That's domain. Beautiful. Anything above the, uh, above the clavicles is a shared domain. Mm-hmm. The airway is a shared domain mm-hmm. with medicine. It's not mm-hmm. exclusively the territory of the ENT or the rest, or the sleep doctor. No, we all have to work together, including ILBC, um, doulas, just midwives. Oh my gosh, myofunctional therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also a myofunctional yep. therapist, aren't you? No, I'm, oh, I've not. taken I the course, but I don't really practice that. No. Okay, no. but you understand the importance. My of colleagues, it. yes, yeah. yes, I, I definitely, I've, I've been exposed to the course, but I don't feel proficient enough. But um, I was asked to deliver five lectures over the course of two and a half uh-huh. days by Dr. Steve Carsonson, who is a liaison with the American Dental Association. Guess what my uh-huh. opening uh, lecture, I was, um, you know, he asked me to give the first foundational talk on a thurs- uh-huh. Thursday afternoon. You know what it was about? What is missing from professional education and the curriculum? Just what you brought up. We didn't learn uh-huh. this stuff in our training and one of the first things I talked about is anthropology, nutrition, and what else? Just that malocclusion. And, no, and, <laughs> and be, behavior guidance is that mm-hmm. who can deal? When I say early malocclusion, 
I don't mean early, like, you know, before there were teenagers. Early is a defined term in the Academy of Pediatric Dentistry's guidelines for tooth decay. Early childhood mm-hmm. caries means cavities, any cavity, before the age of 72 months old, six years old. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. introduced the whole concept of early childhood malocclusion. Bad mm-hmm. bites that will not get better, they will not self-correct after the age of six years old or 72 months. Mm-hmm. So why would you wait mm-hmm. to fix them? Because right. most orthodontists get no training in how to deal with an anxious child. They say, what if they won't mm-hmm. open their mouth? They're too young. You don't want to burn them out. You don't want to use up the orthodontic benefit. Wait till they're older. Wait till they have more permanent teeth. That's like an ophthalmologist saying, okay, your four-year-old's nearsighted. You know, why don't you save some money? You don't want to do go through six different pair of glasses before they're driving a car, even though it'll right. help them right. have a better quality of life and, and not have neurological problems. Why don't you wait? until he's almost blind, right. you know, and then unfortunately, yeah, <clears throat> I, in, in my, um, in taking care of new families, I hear so much, um, well, not enough emphasis on prevention of what's going to happen next. I mean, it, you know, if I have a baby that comes to me, that's having trouble breastfeeding and they have a torticollis or their head shape is off a bit. And I say, well, you know, what is, what are your other providers? You know, I'm not the pediatrician. I can't, I can suggest, I can educate, but they're looking to their pediatrician for guidance. And what they'll get from the pediatrician is it's not really bad enough to do anything yet. And that just like makes, blows my mind because I know there's lots of things we can do, you know? So that idea of prevention. So your practice went, as a dentist focuses on intervention in an earlier age group, correct? Well, first risk assessment. And that's when I, like at the ADA, I emphasize there was hundreds of people there and online, Mm -hmm. this is going to go all over the, all over the world. Um, It was a smashing success. Um, And really what I say, you have no obligation to treat anybody. You need to do risk assessment of, of children that are at risk for oral facial myofunctional disorders, malocclusion, and sleep and breathing disorders. you That is really, and then, like you said, you need to collaborate. Now, my first course usually is to find out who the child's primary care physician is and primary care dentist. We don't say general dentist anymore. Most kids, mm-hmm. most dental, most children dental patients are seen by what we used to call general dental practitioners, family dentists. No, we call them primary care dentists now. As a pediatric dentist, I'm a primary care dentist and I'm a specialist. Many of my patients are not my, you know, general pediatric dentistry patients. They just come to me for the orthodontics, okay? Well, when I need to communicate with other health care professionals, such as yourself, such as a pediatrician, such as a, a allergist, such as an ENT, such as a sleep doctor. Do you know who I contact first? The primary care dentist and the primary care physician. I want them mm-hmm. to know, and I want their input as to, do you have any preference for whom I might refer this child to who has enlarged mm-hmm. adenoids, has dark circles under his eyes, he wets his bed, you know, I want to make a referral, but I want to do it 
in conjunction with the two of you. And Mm -hmm. then you're involving the other primary care people that care about this child's not just acute health, but long-term health and quality of life. And then, oh my gosh, you're a dentist? You're also a sleep medicine consultant at Lurie Children's Hospital? I, I had mm-hmm. no idea. I thought dentists just filled teeth. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a way. I didn't know what an ILBC was. This is a way to get yourself known. Target the mm-hmm. primary care people, the primary care dentist, the primary care physician. That should be everybody's first step after you have performed risk assessment. You as a healthcare mm-hmm. professional, Lisa, um, really have a tremendous opportunity, if you will, if not responsibility, to perform validated risk assessment on a child's airway competence. And you're mm-hmm. already doing that. I know you are. But who mm-hmm. knows that everybody should be doing that? If you see kids, you should be performing at least risk assessment and then leave the definitive diagnosis and treatment to the people who actually do the kind of work. And there's more and more people being trained. You know, orthodontists say wait till they're, you know, seven and I'll look at them uh, by then, but probably wait till there's more permanent teeth. Wait till the condition gets Mm -hmm. more severe is what they're saying. And if a Mm -hmm. parent says, well, why wouldn't you treat it now? Just sit back and wait for their answers. See if you hear Mm -hmm. something that makes sense to your instinct. And I really say that to parents. Nobody knows the child better than the parents, especially the mom. Maternal instinct is a little bit different from what people with the Y chromosome have. I, I just, it just is. Mm-hmm. And I have had, Lisa, you wouldn't believe how many people come to me. And the mom, usually the female adult caregiver, is what most pediatric dentists are first encounters with, they stamp their foot and say, I thought so. You know, in other words, I've been marginalized by everybody mm-hmm. who, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's something wrong with my kid. And nobody has been able to do this and they appreciate me because I, and I go through the science, you know, they Mm -hmm. need to hear the science behind it and I need to legitimize my plan. Right. I have the same experience in my office on a daily basis where the parent is, is bringing the mother is like, I know something's up and everybody says everything's okay but I know something's wrong. This, I, the latch, I've never breastfed before, but I don't think this is how it should feel. This is, and, and everybody's been gaslighting her and telling her it's her fault or her milk or her nipple shape or something going on. And she feels beaten down um, yeah. by the system. And then I see lights going on in her eyes. Like, wow, well, yes, uh, that's and, what I thought. And, and tears coming out of them. Right? I've, I've had yes, moms absolutely. and dads that start to cry because, oh my God, Mm -hmm. something could have been done earlier. And I end Mm -hmm. up having to comfort them. It's not your Mm -hmm. fault. You've been marginalized and look at you're here now. That's what you got. You have to look forward. You're here now and we can do a lot for your kid. And I show And then do you go through like, yeah, family history and they start saying, oh, my husband snores and he had a, he couldn't breastfeed and He's always had a lisp and this happens and that happens and, and the connections start going on and then they start to, oh, wait, I have a toddler and he couldn't breastfeed and now he, he's, yeah. he's in speech therapy. And it and it's just like, wow, it's all connected. But, you know, I, I, I get all of, you know, what we're trying to do. Um, 
I was thinking about it before we before we came on. I was thinking about like sometimes when we talk about all the things that are like all the setup for the things that are going quote unquote wrong with our development. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if we could talk about what we can do on an individual basis for prevention from birth or maybe even beyond, you know, before, and then a population perspective of that. So on an individual basis, if you were talking to a pregnant woman, Mm -hmm. what would you ideally tell her about what, what would make the ideal situation well, first of all, point in history. you you left out half the human race there. Um, you know, I call them <laughs> pre-pregnant women and pre-pregnant fathers. Okay, mm-hmm. preconception. Mm-hmm. Women get all oh you God you you know of course you shouldn't drink um, the alcohol. You know, interrupts the synapsogenesis of the population of the frontal cortex of synapses, and um, yo know, you you know you have to. Uh, Mom, 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 you know, protect your egg. And, mm-hmm. they, and they should. What about dad, dad, dad? How about protecting your mm-hmm. sperm? Okay. Women's ovum, women's eggs start to develop when? When they're in their mommies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Grandma mm-hmm. has to do things that can affect her ultimate grandchild. Dads have to do things to make sure they're passing on good sperm. But nothing is said to, about men. There's very little talked about. So I have two point. daughters. I raised them that way. Uh, my wife and I, you know, she did most of it. But I really, we supported one another in that whole concept of when if you decide to have children, you must demand not just of yourself, but of your partner. That this is some you have to take care of preconception. And certainly... You know, during, have you ever heard of something called gestational apnea? Most people don't even know about it. Gestational diabetes, of course I know that. Preeclampsia, mm-hmm. gestational hypertension, of course I know about that. How about gestational apnea? Google it. You'll find a ton. Mm-hmm. All right. Women who don't sleep and breathe well during gestation, mm-hmm. that can impact the baby's jaw and face development. It's a hypothesis, wow. but there's support mm-hmm. for it. A good hypothesis first has to be not provable, refutable. You have to be able to tear it apart. And you have to do your best to try to find holes in your your hypothesis and come up with support for it. And this Mm -hmm. is a testable hypothesis that women who don't breathe well, and and, uh, an experiment was done in the 50s and 40s and 30s. It was called smoking. Winston cigarettes used to advertise a win-win, the wonderful taste of Winston, and a smaller baby, easier delivery. They thought mm-hmm. that low birth weight, small kids was a good thing. The cigarette yeah, companies I'm a, did. I'm a product of that. Yeah. So my mom was told not to stop smoking or having her nightly scotch. There you go. Because they didn't want her to gain too much weight and have a big baby. Well, you turned out all right. Look at you. I mean, well, you know what? Come on. My my jaw is not all right. Absolutely yeah. not. You know, well, mine so either. That I need I need I need double jaw surgery too. But yeah. what, what the point is is with with the whole smoking thing and having a smaller baby, not just lower birth weight and not just long bones being smaller, why mm-hmm. would it just target the long bones? Why wouldn't it target 
the craniofacial mm-hmm. respiratory bones. It does. You can mm-hmm. see it on mid, mid-gestational ultrasounds. At 20 weeks, you can see retrusive mandibles. We, me- we can mm-hmm. measure them. It's called the inferior facial angle. We, we were going to put this um, to an orthodontic resident to do um, her, her thesis on. And it got torn. You know, They said, no, we're not going to do that. At a major university. It was the biggest wow. disappointment for me. Uh, we had it all lined up. We had a sleep doctor from Harvard. Um, Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they wouldn't accept it. Uh, so right. anyway, uh, so I, it, I have a theory about the connection of sleep apnea and preeclampsia, which we know that there's a connection between dental health and maternal health and, and infections and even high blood pressure, mm-hmm. um, from dental infections That's mm-hmm. that there is research for that, but also the preeclamptic aspect, because if you, if you're not breathing, right, of course, your blood pressure is going to be higher. The pressure in your veins, your body is working harder in, you know, half your lifetime when you're supposed to be asleep. And how could that not affect your blood vessels? And that, and that is, your that is, that is magnificent. I, I mean, I'm listening to you so intensely right now. I had never thought that gestational hypertension could be related to gestational apnea. I want you, mm-hmm. please, to think about this with me um, and start, just do a search. I can send you some papers on gestational apnea, mm-hmm. but you have formulated a very testable hypothesis. You know, so mm-hmm. I would, um, I'd like to explore that with you. I, I got a lot Excellent. on my plate right now, but mm-hmm. if, you, if you could just sort of stay curious about that. Um, because I think there's something to it. Uh, yeah. And the reason why these connections aren't made in general is because like you were saying before, not only don't we learn everything in school, but what we learn in silos, we don't learn together. And so what I know about midwifery and taking care of pregnant women intersects with what I know about, you know, now I'm learning about dental health and airway and, and everything. So I, I'm in a unique position where I see different views. You're in a unique position, which is why your work is so interesting, that intersects the nutrition, the dentistry, the airway. So all of us who have exposure to different um, disciplines have a different perspective and different ideas on what works, right? And yeah, what, no, what I'm, things happen. I'm, I'm absolutely, um, never been happier being a dentist because I just don't mm-hmm. do anything but this, uh, this aspect mm-hmm. of oral health, you know, mm-hmm. dental health is a component of oral health. We, we, we're called right. dentists, meaning, yo, you just take care of teeth, right? Well, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> we take care of where the <laughs> teeth reside and what mm-hmm. they're, you know, what the jaws are connected to the airway. So mm-hmm. no, I I haven't done restorative dentistry in a long time. Um, mm-hmm. We we still have decay in our practice, but not much. We really emphasize healthy eating and try to reinforce mm-hmm. what parents really want for their kids. So I've really mm-hmm. got to go now, uh, Lisa. I've got okay. another call, but uh, okay. you know this is fascinating, and maybe we can do a part two. Um, Absolutely. And after you've done a little, uh, you know, exploring on preeclampsia and uh, gestational apnea. Um, mm-hmm. that would be a neat talk to do together. 
Um, yeah, that would be fun. That would be fun. Thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are, and I appreciate every moment you gave us today. Thank you oh, so much. Oh, thank you. I, I, I'm honored to have been asked to do this. You're, you're a All force. Right. You're a force. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'll see you care. later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.